Football Fridays are presented by Stonehaven Dental at Stonehaven Dental. They say yes, yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. A lot of people weighing in, PK, on the question of the day. How could you possibly play 400 bucks? That is not the question of the day. <laughs> I did get this uh, from one of our former bosses. Uh, tell PK I will pay for his ticket to Wicked. <laughs> Donate it to charity and then try to get your money back. <laughs> oh, uh, Jill says, I wanted to see Hamilton when I was in Seattle. Tickets there were up to like $2,000. Oh, come on. And then the emoji with the eyebrows and the big eyes, like $2,000. Who would pay that? Uh, rich people in Seattle. To go right? see singing and dancing. Well, well I don't know. talking that's, about rich people. I don't know. I they, get that. I don't know if they uh, actually sold for that or that's just what they were asking. You know, life is a negotiation when you go on those websites. I'm talking about the common Joe like me. The common Joe isn't paying Son 400 bucks. Son of a bucks. janitor. The common Joe isn't paying 400 bucks to do anything. And Common Joe isn't sitting courtside at NBA games. Those tickets are well past 400 bucks. All right, DJ and PK, it is time to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. He is on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. What's up, fellas? Question of the day. Has the BYU program arrived under Kalani Sataki? Ooh, that would be a dangerous thing for anybody to say about any part of their life, right? Like, say, saying saying I'm arrived, uh, that I've arrived as an athlete, that's like when everything starts slipping out of your hands. Now, do do I think they're moving in the right direction? Yes. Do I feel like... That was a big win for the program and for Kalani Sataki. Yes. Do I feel like this can build confidence moving into other big games for BYU? No question about it. But if you if you think that you've arrived, who that that's that's just a scary thought, right? There's always something to improve. There's always something to tweak. There's always something to grow and to learn from. Of course, with the exception me being me, who's a completely and totally arrived as a sports talk show host. But other than that, you know, I can see where you're going. But at the same time, why? why well, you, not everybody's not everybody's elite, Patrick. Right, back I mean, to that. That was, that was a phrase, you know, the word we used a couple weeks ago or something, right? What was it, it was. It was. We beat that into I the don't ground. I remember why, but now that he says that, I remember that we did do that. Well, right, right. Okay, but is this program now capable of winning eight, nine, ten games and be within reason of thinking, all right, that's going to happen, and in a down season be six and six, seven and five. We'll give you that the occasionally. I mean, the Utes had that a few years back when Huntley was a sophomore, uh, and I think he got hurt that season or something, and so they went seven and five, if I remember. But yet, then they follow it up with a couple of South uh, first place and go to the, the title game. And so we've established Utah. In a sense, we think they've at least arrived. To, you know, there's the levels of, of arrivement, and their arrivement is <laughs> – quit looking at me that way. Their arrivement is you know, they're going to win eight, nine games virtually every year. Do you think BYU's at that point? 
Well, I certainly think with with the schedule that they have right now, like my thought process is is way different compared to when the season started. Right, like you're looking at Arizona State game, you know, you're looking at the BYU game, and you're and you're like, excuse me, at the Utah game, and you're just like, wow, I don't know, I don't, I don't. I don't know where all these wins are going to come from that everybody's talking about, but you, you win against the University of Utah. You win against Arizona. If you go and win this weekend against Arizona State, all of a sudden, what game do they play in where you don't feel like that they have a chance to win or to be a favorite? And I think to answer your question in a long way there, teams that win not eight, nine games a year with a good season with 10-win or 11-win seasons – they're in every game, and you don't feel like you're out of any game that you play in. And so that becomes exciting for, for a BYU fan perspective. And from, I guess, the arrival, since we're using that word, or the arrivement, as you would say, <laughs> just, <laughs> like, really, really, um, you're in every game. And so this this is where it gets hard emotionally for BYU fans, right, Is is where now – the expectations start to rise a little bit, that every game that you play in, you, you think you could win, and it comes down to four or five plays in every game, and whether you execute on those four or five plays, and you don't know which four or five plays those are going to be, and then if you lose, you just feel terrible because you're like, oh my gosh, it came down to like three plays, and we weren't ready for those three plays. Whereas before it was like, well, we were outmatched, you know, we played out of our head, a couple of plays didn't fall our way. When the expectations get a little bit higher, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But that also means that you have a lot better program and a lot better team. And right now, I, I mean, look, to lose Zach Wilson, start out the season 2-0 and with a win over your rival, uh, things are going in the right direction for BYU. There's no question. Well, I like what you said about arrived because I totally buy that. When you think you've arrived in anything, that's when you're in trouble. And... If you want to put arrived at, can they average eight or nine wins? Yeah, I think they can do that. That's no longer crazy talk. That's right in front of them. You got to go do it, and they haven't. But if you had to bet, I actually think it comes down to two choices: is it more likely that the roller coaster continues, or is it more likely that they are averaging eight or nine wins, and people come calling for Kalani at schools that look at eight or nine wins and think that'd be awesome? Which is how Virginia looked at Bronco. That would be awesome, and they came and got him. Double and triple the money, right? I think the more likely right. scenario for BYU is that Kalani wins and people come calling. Either way, it'll be a problem for BYU, but I think that's the way it's more likely to break. You agree? Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kalani's name's up for USC. I mean, I, look, mm-hmm. the, you have to look at what Kalani's done in an independent era with the recruiting that he's done, with the ability that. And, and there are some limitations to BYU. I think they're a little bit overplayed, but there are some. I think you have to recognize that there's some limitations. But it would not surprise me at all if big schools come and knock on Kalani's door, and then it's going to be up to Kalani to decide what he wants to do. Is he going to is he going to go the Lavelle Edwards route and, and have lots of offers all the time and just say, look, this is where I love to be, this is what I like to do? Or is it to make a choice to, to have transformational money for his family and take care of generations to come because he can go to a USC or he can go to a, a, a different program. And those are, 
those are decisions that Kalani will have to make. I think it would have to be a really good job for Kalani to leave. But I also think, I mean, you just got to give, you got to give a lot of credit to him. I mean, these players love to play for him. They play hard. People in the program are, are playing hard right now, and I think he's recruited very well. And I also think he's allowed some of his coaches to coach. I think if you if you look at the game on Saturday, I mean, Aaron Roderick and his play calling, they basically out-Utahed Utah. And, and uh, on offense, they didn't turn the ball over. They were highly efficient on offense. They kept with the running game, and they kept running and kept running until until Utah broke. And there's very few teams that I can think of over the last – 10 years in the Kyle Whittingham era that have been able to break Utah down to where they've been able to keep running the ball and keep running the ball and keep running the ball. And then, you know, in the trenches on the offensive line and the defensive line, I mean, they looked like a University of Utah team. They just kept coming in waves. The offensive line was was big and heavy, and they were laying on you. And it was just interesting to see them out Utah, Utah. Now, that was the exact game plan that Kyle has used for years to win that was used against Utah to beat them. You probably have noticed this too, but one thing that I've been able to see in through conversations is the amount of allegiance and loyalty that his assistants have to him is as good or better than any staff I've ever known. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think Kalani is the type of guy that is constantly in people's ears and constantly saying, dude, why did you do that? It's just not even really his personality type. Now, look, just because a coach is that way doesn't mean that that's a bad thing because, you know, the way I look at it, these, these guys are all running a ship, right? And, and if Kalani's going to run the ship the way he wants to, then Kyle can run the ship the way he wants to. And if the ship goes down, you want it to be because of your choices, but the way Kalani chooses to run it and the way Kalani decides, has decided to treat his assistant coaches is to allow them to be themselves, to allow them to put their own little signature on what they're doing, and then really let them run with it. And look, if there's problems, I'm sure that there's conversations, but I don't think those conversations are taking place in the middle of a game. And so for me... You know, if you're if you're Aaron Roderick, you really like to coach for Kalani because there's nobody chirping in your ear, throwing you out of your rhythm as you're calling plays. And I don't care who talks about it or, or how it's talked about, but to be an offensive coordinator, there's a rhythm that takes place. And when people and when people are chirping in your ear, when there's distractions going on, and you're not able to be in that rhythm, it's really difficult to call a game the way you want to play it. And I've just, I've really liked the way Aaron Roderick has called plays the last two years. And look, I know, I know we're probably going to give John Beck credit again for, you know, for Jaron Hall's performance. But after a while, you're going to have to start saying, God, who's the offensive coordinator that's putting these quarterbacks in situations in practice and then allowing them to, like, play to the best of their ability in the games? Who's the coach that's actually preparing them during the week so they can play really well on Saturdays? And, and right now, to me, you, you've got to tip your hat to Aaron Roderick in the way that they're playing offensive football. And, and look, it's not complicated, but there are some nice little wrinkles. I, I loved the touchdown play call to uh, Samson Nakua where you drop back for a minute 
and then it's a controlled rollout to the left, and they throw a little out pattern to Samson McHugh. I mean, that was that was a nice wrinkle on the goal line, and you don't come up with that play unless you saw something on the goal line that indicated that you could run a play like that. And that was that was ingenuitive. That was that was creative. That was imaginative, in my opinion. Ingenuitive. Uh, I think it was ingenuitive. Uh, yeah. Listen, listen. You know. Not, it, not everybody has come to the level of arrivement that, that <laughs> <I think. laughs> nice <laughs> you know the only thing I'll, I'll disagree with you on is I can't believe Kalani would be up for the USC job right now because jobs like that they don't want to hear that you are arriving and it's a sports talk radio discussion they want to see it on paper in black and white on the scoreboard yeah th- this coach has won 30 games in 3 years or... yeah and Pete Carroll was their 4th choice Right. So NFL guy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think USC is always getting the guy that they want, but it's true. Me, when I think about the USC job, I do think that one of the one of the boxes that Kalani checks is an ability to connect with people and with boosters and with media. That maybe that's that was the weakness of Clay Helton. Because by all accounts, Clay Helton's a super nice guy, right? Yeah. But maybe just not as charismatic. And maybe just not as um, pleasing to the boosters and to the crowds and to to what the USC, I don't know, whatever their whatever they want it to look like at their program. That's that's something that I can see Kalani fitting into. Now you're right. I mean, they're going to go after some other people first, but who's to say that they don't circle around and go, "Gal, here's a guy who's winning games with an independent schedule." who's been recruiting and, and recruiting well to BYU, what could he do recruiting to USC? What could he do for our fan base to get us excited? I think he checks a lot of boxes. And so I, I'm not saying that – I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm not trying to get BYU fan, like, up, upset or up in arms. But I do think that there are going to be opportunities for Kalani that maybe other coaches in the past didn't have because – Let's let's be honest. He has, he has a likable personality, and in in this day and age, it's important that you hire people that you like to be around. And so these ads sometimes they they want to they want to be around people that they like to talk to. It's only one game, and I don't want to go crazy. But and his offensive line was not very good. But I'm talking about Brewer, and I thought, man, if he's got time, he's going to pick you apart. But when the play breaks down. In the one game, I didn't see much. Now, I can't go crazy on one game, particularly when it's up to the guys up front to provide him time. But I'm wondering, what do you think about him when the pocket breaks down? Yeah, I, well, first of all, in, in fairness to Charlie Brewer, no quarterback's very good when the pocket breaks down. <laughs> I, mean, there's, I mean, you look at Tom Brady. I mean, that's been the thing that everybody tries to say in the NFL. They're like, oh, he's not very good when the pocket breaks down. Well, then don't let the pocket break down. and Watch him take you to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Um, everybody's passing percentage goes down. Every, I think Charlie, uh, Charlie has some really good skills, and I really like his eyes, and I really like the way that he plays when, when he's in a rhythm. I felt like BYU kept him out of rhythm all night, and I think, you know, he airmailed, he airmailed the last fourth down throw. But I think that's because he was starting to, I think he was starting to see ghosts. I think he was starting to feel a little bit of the pressure of, man, I have to make all these plays on my own. Now, will the offensive line for Utah get better? No question about it. 
Will Charlie Brewer get better? I think he will. I do think, and, and I think that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more toughness or a little bit more urgency to make some plays when things were breaking down a little bit. But so there's something, there's something that I'm feeling that this is the same as you, Patrick, because you bring up this question is like was. Okay, was that all offensive line, or was there something there that was missing in the in the toughness of like finishing this play and like really trying to make a play? And look, I played quarterback for a team. I got sacked ten times in one game at Washington, and um, I'm going to be defensive for quarterbacks for a minute. But I also felt like that, that, that part of those sacks were on me sometimes, right? Like part of it was like, I need to be tougher. I need to figure out how to get out of this jam, or I need to learn how to throw the ball away before that, before those guys get to me. And, and I got better as, as the season progressed, but it's not easy when you're feeling pressure. And uh, look, quarterbacks are really good when it's seven on seven. The ones that, that kind of separate themselves from everybody else are guys that can make those plays when everything isn't perfect. And I think that's why, you know, if we want to flip the script a little bit, I think that's why I'm impressed with Jaron Hall, right? Like, he could have been jumpy. He could have been antsy. He could have ran all over the field and tried to make plays with his feet all night. But he stayed in the pocket when he was supposed to, and he used his feet when he was supposed to. And I thought I thought he played a masterful game on Saturday. And I think because of his maturity and because of the things that he's doing, I, I, I can see BYU winning a lot of games this year. O'Reilly, there is a lot more to talk to you about, but we're going to have to leave it right there for now. We'll talk to you again next week. Are you picking BYU to win? I am. I'm, I'm picking all in-state schools to win this week. Ooh, I, there I, it is. I, Your Aggies are big I, underdogs at Air Force. I know. I okay. know. But there's a, different, there's a different enthusiasm, and I think this Rice kid at Utah State, this, this middle linebacker, is a great quarterback for that defense. He's got guys in the right spots. And, and playing fast, at least. And so I know it's a crazy matchup, but I think this offense can actually outscore Air Force. The Aggies going 3-0. and Who do you like to be the coach at Utah State next year after Blake Anderson leaves? <laughs> what? Really? Really? That, that's So quick to put Kalani on a, another job, Nobody but Blake Anderson, no, he's a lifer in Logan. Come on! Nobody's reached that level of arrivement yet at USU. Just stop it. Thank you, Riley. Love you guys, man. Thank you. Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. Can the Trojans hold it together with an interim coach? They still got to play the Utes and the Cougars. And... Who's at the top of the list on the coaching search? We'll talk with Ryan coming up. Interim coach who played in our backyard. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey. What happens in that locker room? You guys come off the field. Uh, kind of take us through. Do you sit and wait? Does Kalani come in? Like, who's addressed and how does that go? Coach addressed us, you know, talked about players that had a big game. We recognized all the coordinators, both A-Rod and E and Coach Lamb on special teams for their role and having us prepared and then just had a dance party and it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Are you dancing or are you just kind of like... Letting everybody else do their thing. We got to watch E dance and A Rod dance and all those guys. And uh, then I think we finished with the electric slide. So that was a that was a blast. <laughs> there you go. You 
Pants and Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we're joined once again by Ryan Abraham, publisher and owner of uscfootball.com. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. It's uh, silly season in USC football land again. uh, (laughs) Didn't expect it this early, but here we are. You knew we were calling you. You just didn't know which day, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, this has been a crazy 48 hours. There's, you know, covering the USC beat, there's been some really insane stories over, you know, over the years. There's just always something nutty going on. And everyone expected, you know, Clay Helton to be fired, especially after seeing the game Saturday night. I just didn't expect it to happen uh, this quickly. But, yeah, yeah, they pulled the trigger and uh, made the move on Monday, and we got to go to a practice with interim head coach Dante Williams yesterday and uh the one thing i put on twitter if you uh cover the usc beat you know how to spell the word interim very well because you can use it quite often <laughs> so you mentioned williams and i want a little information from about him from you he started with the seahawks now i'm not talking seattle nor am i talking redondo union high school i'm talking <laughs> harbor college my old beat in the 90s that's where he got his start he's a local guy but he's got a connection here he played his college ball i don't stay that's basically up the freeway from us and so he has been around he's only i think 38 39 years of age uh why him yeah, so it's funny. He, he, you know, big Southern California guys, really tied into the high school scene down here. Like you said, you know, Harbor College and stuff. But he goes up to Oregon and gets like a couple times the Pac-12 Recruiter of the Year. It just does a great job up there. USC ends up luring him away when they switch over their defensive staff, and he got the associate head coaching title last year. It's just been USC needed a shot in the arm as far as recruiting goes, especially after that 2020 class. And he was it, and he's just been doing a tremendous job there. Relates with the players extremely well. He's recruited most of the, the roster, if not here. He recruited those kids when he was at Oregon. So I think they just felt that he had the, built those relationships with the players and would be a good guy to lead them through. I mean, it's 10 games. It's like a pretty good resume builder for someone that, you know, you're a cornerback's coach, not even like a full secondary coach. Uh, I think that's a great opportunity. We saw other people – take it and run with it when you get that interim job. I don't think he's going to end up being USC's head coach, but uh, it's certainly going to be something that he could put on his resume because the schedule's not that difficult. If they can go out and beat the teams that they should beat, I mean, he could go 8-2 and two or something like that, and that would, uh, that would be a nice feather in his cap. Well, that schedule includes both Utah and then BYU on Thanksgiving weekend in the regular season finale. Do you think they hold it together? Because there have been a couple seasons where they have had the interim coaches and they've been 1-2 and two when they played the Utes and won the game and finished 6-3. and There have also been a couple seasons, one with Lane Kiffin and one with Clay Helton, when, when they couldn't reach their goals, everything just unraveled. And yeah, know, guys are just playing for the NFL or what? But Lane Kiffin had a seven and six, and Clay Helton had a five and seven. And is there a chance USC's looking at that? Yeah, I think everything's on the table. I mean, the, Mike Bone, the athletic director, said that they're not like um, just basically writing off the season. They really want to think that there's uh, you know some opportunities to just go out and win the Pac-12 again. And, uh, but I mean, those are the key games. I mean, you got to beat BYU, who got them a. A couple of years ago, obviously, Utah is a huge rival in the South, but they get them in the, the Coliseum. I mean, UCLA looks really good. you got to go on the road and play 
Notre Dame. So there's definitely some some tough games in there. And you know, Stanford, I still don't think is a very good team, and they just throttled USC. So I think it's just getting this team to play together. There was a lot of infighting and stuff going on. If he can galvanize the team, they should be okay. Uh, but it's a lot. I mean, he's going into practice the day before. You know, we're out there at practice today. Like, and I asked him, "Do you change the practice schedule much?" He's like, "Not really. I mean, they just he just got the job." Uh, but I, yeah, I think. There's going to be some key games. Uh, you know, can Utah get their first win in the Coliseum? Uh, you know, could BYU do it? You know, let's pull another upset. So, those are the ones that people are going to be watching when he's uh, out there coaching. So we don't think that he's going to get the job, right? So obviously, there's been all sorts of speculation. We got the fickle connection with the AD James Franklin, who did, did marvelous work at Vanderbilt, and obviously has done very well at Penn State. Those guys came to mind right off the bat, and they've already spoken. They don't want distractions. Blah blah blah. My guy, who has no distractions, is Chris Peterson. I think they should just throw all the money in the world at him and see if he wants to come back. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think there's some a couple good options that, of guys that aren't working right now, like Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops, and they're both in Los Angeles for Fox, like at least part of the part of the week, uh, do it covering football. And it's funny, every name that comes up, there's definitely going to be reasons why someone will say he'll never do that or that'll never work, and one of them's going to, you know. So it's it's curious to see, you know, will, will Luke Fickle, you know, leave his cocoon in, in Ohio where he's been his whole career. Is Chris Peterson, you know, done with the retirement stuff? He seems like he's pretty happy with the way he's doing. Same thing with Stoops. Um, you know, like a James Franklin, that's you know, his big-time job there at, at Penn State. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell at, at Iowa State. There's a lot of interesting names. And when you're the athletic director at a place like USC, like your main job, your, I mean, priority one, two, and three are hiring the head football coach. And the, the first step was – getting an opening and the fans were asking for that for the last few years. Now they have one and now they're going to have to do you know, Now they're on stage. Now it's all about them. Who are you going to hire? Uh, we're, we're not sure if he's going to use a search firm. He said he wasn't sure yet, but they have a lot of time, um, you know, to, to kind of figure this out and you want to get it done as early as possible because of the early signing period, but they at least have a head start on anyone else that's out there uh, looking for a head coach. Public schools, we always see what their athletic budgets are and the coaches' salaries and all that. Private schools don't have the same issues with the Freedom of Information Act. What's the ballpark USC pays in? What's the ballpark they're willing to pay in? Because watching these SEC salaries, they're just going through the roof. It is going through the roof, and uh, it's crazy. I think my estimation of what Clay Helton's buyout is, is it's probably between 12 and $15 million, so that's not cheap uh, either for them to just to get rid of Clay Helton. Um, with a couple of years left on his deal, my understanding is he, you know, as far as the tax returns go, I think his salary, Clay Helton's salary, was over five million dollars now. So I think you would at least start there. Uh, but I mean, yeah, does it go up to eight million? I mean, we've never seen something like that uh, out here. So it's uh, it could get a little crazy. They've shown that they've been willing to spend money, uh, you know, to try to get things. You know, the athletic department be a little bit more modern. Like before there was kind of penny-pinching around the department. I don't know if they've opened up the purse strings a little bit uh, at the athletic department, but it just seems like they're spending more. I mean, university's been dealing with a lot of scandals on their own. There's been a lot of money coming out. So, But I, I feel they understand that it is important to get the football team right, and you can't do it uh, just hoping and, and having a you know a kind of a budget program. So that, that will be something interesting to see. We might not know all the details until the tax returns come out in a couple of years, but 
that's usually one you can find out for sure with the private schools. But yeah, it's that that's what they're gonna have to do. They're gonna have to spend money if they want to play with the big boys. And if they don't, then you can kind of tell. Okay, they're not really serious about winning for this football program anymore. What's interesting is they're trying to recapture what they had. You know, programs try to do that, and it gets very difficult. You know, I can argue that uh, the Bruins basketball team is the ghost of John Wooden hasn't gone away. Arizona State, the ghost of Frank Cush hasn't gone away. UNLV basketball, the ghost of Jerry Tarkanian hasn't gone away. Now, there's been multiple ghosts at SC, and the latest being Pete Carroll. How long is that going to take, and will that ghost ever go away? And what I mean by can SC get back to what they had because they had it once like those other schools did, but we're getting like starting to get a distance between that and now makes me wonder how realistic it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think the, the, the fact that there's multiple ghosts is what you have to look at. It's a brand. You know, has, has Texas been all that successful in the last, you know, 10 years, 15 years, basically since USC was really successful? Like, no, but they're still a huge brand because of the history, the fan base tradition and all that. And that's why the SEC would try to take them away. And that's why, it, they, you know, just them leaving the Big 12 would crush the conference. And I think it's the same thing with USC. You just need the right coach. It's a sleeping giant. If you get the a right, you know, good leadership in there, uh, it, you, you're just, it's a blueprint for being successful. And I think USC, you almost have to try to screw USC football up. And that's really what they've done with the athletic directors they've had before. So the hope if you're a USC fan is that, you know, Mike Bowen's the right guy. They're going to go out and make a great hire and just give yourself a much more reasonable chance of success. Not basically before you were hiring someone and hoping that the tradition sort of like dragged them along. Like you want a coach that's going to be driving this bus, not the USC brand driving the bus. And you just hire someone like a Clay Helton that's, that's along for the ride. You know, you don't want someone that's along for the ride. You want someone that's going to control things and take things over. And if they can do that, I think USC can get back on top. So if I offered you USC or the field in the Pac-12 South right now, which one would you take? I'm going field. Uh, you know, I like the way UCLA's playing. I, you know, I, I was a little shocked at the Utah-BYU game because BYU didn't look that great in the, in the opener. But I still think Utah's a formidable opponent. And, you know, Arizona State's a wild card to me because, I mean, any minute, you know, Herm Edwards might not be there with all the stuff that's going on. But uh, they seem like they're, you know, you're getting through things. They have an easy early part of the schedule. USC's still really talented, but, you know, you've switched head coaches. I just think there's a lot that can go wrong, and they already have a Pac-12 loss. So I'll definitely take the field on that one. USC can win it for sure, but uh, at this point I'll go field. The backup quarterback's a local kid, Dart. Uh, I'm assuming, I don't know this, you'd probably know more, that Slovis tries his hand in the NFL. I know they got another four- or five-star kid, was named Miller, and then uh, probably got some guys in the pipeline. How do you think that shakes out? Yeah, for uh, I like the way Jackson Darts played well. He was named the backup quarterback. Uh, he competed with Miller Moss, who's more of a, a local kid. They got Devin Brown, a 2022 uh, kid who's looked really good, throwing like six or seven touchdowns a game, where, you know, where Dart played uh, in high school. So there's there's some interesting um, developments there, but I don't know as far as, like, because they're picking a new head coach, is Graham Harrell going to be around? Graham and uh, Keaton are tight. You know, I, I think Slovis would go, but if he doesn't have a great rest of the year, maybe he wants to stay. Uh, Dart's also pretty tight with Graham Harrell. So there, I think there's going to be a shakeup, obviously, with a new head coach. 
And the way Graham Harrell's the offense hasn't really been performing that well. So I think before he would have been someone that you thought a new coach would want to keep. Unless the offense turns things around, I mean, scoring 23 points a game is not going to, you know, not going to cut it in college football nowadays. And that's what they've been doing. So um, I think the quarterback room is going to be affected by who the coaches are because those, you know, those guys have pretty close ties. Well, Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again as the Utah-USC game approaches. That should be a really good one. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Ryan Abraham, you can read him at uscfootball.com. He's been on the show a lot, follows it closely. You would take the field over USC right now, wouldn't you? It's so early to say. I know. It's Sports Talk Radio. We're built on sand. We'll have a new opinion in two weeks. I thought he hit on it. First off, there's you got multiple chances if you take the field, and USC already has a loss. Well, that's big. They've already had a loss, yeah. Right. But at the same time, you easily can win it with one loss. All you got to do is... You may well yeah. be able to win it with somebody's going to have to go undefeated. Right. You may well be able to win it with two. Seven and two has won this division yeah, one, before. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 I they love lost this to a northern they're... team, so it's not like they lost a tiebreaker there. Right. I always enjoy... Well, you know, the goal is to win all our games, and then you lose one. Well, it doesn't affect us in conference, and then you lose the first one. Well, we still, you know, all we got to do, they're going to lose a game. You know, you just start checking off goals. The go tide's down, down, coming down. in. The tide's uh, coming in. You just drop back and build a new sandcastle. Every coach does that every year, and Kyle did it Saturday night. Oh, this doesn't affect any of our goals. You know, our goals still go to the Rose Bowl. Okay, well, what happens when you get – Three losses or two losses, uh, you know, it gets more difficult. Or when you get eliminated, then it becomes bowl eligible, and yep. and you hope your program doesn't get down to bowl it's eligible. deep in November and you're striving for bowl eligibility. Now, if you're Arizona, you hope that you hope you have a shot. Obviously, they're in a different situation right now. Three or four years, they probably won't be. But they all, all coaches do that, and they check off their goals uh, that way. And when they lose the first game, if it's a non-conference game, and even a conference game, that wasn't devastating by any stretch. It's just that, uh, you know, if they would have – I wonder if Helton would have got fired if the Cardinal didn't look like garbage against Kansas State and the loss against Stanford was closer. But you combine, wait a second, they got like 34 to 7 or something was the score? 24 to 24 7. 24 to yeah. 7. And they obviously were not effective against Kansas State. And then they turn around and just blow you out. That was, the sh- that was a double shocker. You know? And if Stanford had been 2 and 0 and ranked 10, might have played differently. But that's only going to play one way in LA. They got. They got totally humbled by K State, and then just came in and dominated. Right, so you. I know. So they're part of the reason he gets fired is because Stanford looked crappy against Kansas State. Doesn't really make any sense. If they looked better, if they had won the game the other way, if they had won twenty four to seven, it it, it wasn't doesn't about, really affect it wasn't SC. About, it wasn't about the one game they wanted him out, and that was well, the excuse. No, and that the but reason, that right excuse. <laughs> everything was there, but it happened the way it happened. So it was the in a sense it was the one game, the one game was going to come. But what what, what game was it going to be? What does it yeah. mean? Because we were talking about going. I, I think I might have said to uh, Yach sitting next to me down at the press box stadium that this is the coach is getting fired game. Didn't I say that to you? Yes, you did. Yeah. 
I remember that. Right. Because Shaw looked like, okay, they, they'd not been trending well. It was like the dead man walking. Yeah, and because he, he was sitting right next to me in the press box, and he had it on his it's iPad like, there. It's like an elimination game for coaches. Yeah. Whoever lost it wasn't going to be able to explain all this stuff away. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to be essentially the next day. Yeah, I felt like Shaw would be able to get away with it a little easier than Helton would have, but it still was something you can't explain readily. Right, and sure enough, it happened there. But I don't know... The point being that it's long lasting that these who the Tro- this is who the Trojans are this season. I'm not willing to just trash them just yet. They lost. They sucked. No doubt about it. But at the same time, what does that mean for the rest of the season? I can't say. I can guess and I can say, sure, I'm going to take the field. No doubt about it. But who is the field? The other five teams in the South. Okay, but that but four, the only one of them is going to win it. Right. So who's going to win it? Don't tell me the field. I don't. I always thought that was a dumb thing. When there's only in golf, the field. Okay, but you can't predict who's going to win golf from so week to the field. Week. Right. But the <laughs> yeah. field is enormous. Right. Here, the field is four teams. Yep. I don't want to know that any of those four teams are going to win. I want to know who you think is going to win of those four teams. If you don't think it's SC, and obviously it's not Arizona because they need time to reload. DJ and PK. Don't give me the field. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. After a disappointing loss in the Holy War, the Utes look to rebound as they hit the road to square off against an old Mountain West Conference rival in San Diego State. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4 with a postgame show immediately following the game on the Zone Sports Network. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's Wednesday. It's a win tickets Wednesday. One of Rock's old-time legendary bands, or as it says here, legendary bands, Legendary bands KISS returns to Salt Lake City for the rescheduled End of the Road Tour. KISS will bring a stellar night of entertainment. Playing all the KISS classics from 1974 to the current day. Don't miss your chance to see the legends on stage. Tickets are available at LiveNation.com. And we've got a pair of tickets right now for caller number 12 at 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. That's 855-340-9663. Right now. Caller 12. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home tonight. Me and the boys are, you know. Me and the boys will be playing all night. Rock and roll can be painful. The simple pleasures of life. <laughs> Yuck. In the, there it is. Yuck, in the early days of the show. I don't know what was going on, but in the middle of the show, I must have said something that reminded him of some lyric, and he just broke into song at 150 decibels, and jet planes take off at like 94 decibels or something. And it scared me. I yelped on the air. And I got, an, I got a text from his wife. I know, DJ. He does that in the car when we're driving on the freeway. 
Well, just a few more hours and I'll be right home to you. What can I do? Beth! What can I do? He's got a dilemma. He's like, Beth! What am I supposed to be doing? I gotta be here, but I know you want me, and I want you. I mean, uh, what a conflict right there. How do you solve that? You can't be in two places at once, but you need to be, because Beth is there. But I'm telling you, when he gets home to Beth, oh, baby, the night the lights went out in Georgia. Oh, oh, Beth! Oh, Beth! Beth, what can I do? Dun, dun, dun! Beth, what can Oh, yeah. You can get in the dead car and get home, dude! Band's gonna break up anyway. Alright, DJ PK, when we come back, the question of the day. Have the Cougars arrived under Kalani Satake? We will get to that next. Stay with us.